Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Believe in the Jaguars right here on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your co-host, Phil Smith, a.k.a. Phil the Filipino. And as always, I am joined by my co-host. He is James Johnson, the managing editor of the Jaguars Wire via USA Today. Jay, we are coming here on a Monday. Uh, You know, of course, we had to take some time away uh, just to reflect and get our minds right after that Thursday night debacle. I think we fully intended if the Jaguars won to probably put an episode out on Friday, but unfortunately it just didn't work out that way. So Jay, now that you had a couple of days to recover uh, as have I, uh, how are you doing today? I mean, it, it does, of course it's always good to to talk to you and hang out with you, but man, that was rough. Yeah, absolutely rough, man. And I think the luxury in it, at least as rough as it was and as bad of a roster as the Miami dolphins have is that, like you said, uh, we got some days to recoup. We got Friday, we got Saturday, which, you know, we got to see some college football, which, I mean, I guess you could say for both our teams, the, uh, you know, the Texas Longhorns and Georgia Bulldogs, it was still a little bit rough, although we came away with wins. It wasn't the easiest games to watch, if you will. Uh, but nonetheless, we got to watch some college football and Florida State and Miami and all of the other games that came on. It's, it's good to have college football back almost at max capacity, it feels like. Um, but We got to do that Saturday. And, um, you know, with the Jags playing Thursday, I told myself I'll just take the day off on Sunday and actually watch some NFL football in terms of the other teams, which is a luxury that you kind of get. Like I said, when the Jaguars play on Thursday and get the heartache and the heartbreak over with, which we were anticipating a win on the Miami uh, on on Jacksonville's part. Didn't get that so much. So we're going to talk about that and the disappointment that game was. And, you know, we'll answer some questions about, you know, where things are going to go heading forward, because I know a lot of people are like puzzled at this point um, as to what we're getting in terms of a team. Like we got a team that beat the Colts and then we got a team that lost to the Dolphins. Like, what is this team? So here we are. Uh, We're going to answer that all to the best of our ability. And uh, we'll be moving on to next week with the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah, Jay, just to kind of echo what you said, you know, getting to watch, you know, just some other football over the weekend. Yeah, Texas definitely gave me a scare, but ultimately came away with a great comeback victory against Texas Tech. Right now, I'm currently watching my Cowboys, who, of course, is my other team, uh, me being from Dallas, Texas, From the, for those of you who don't know. Uh, it's going OK against the Seattle Seahawks. Dak Prescott did just throw an interception, so we'll see how that goes. But, you know, when you look around at the rest of the AFC South, things aren't really going well for really anybody other than the Tennessee Titans who today at the time of recording pulled out another last minute victory with a field goal from Gostowski. So, you know, things just keep going the right way for the Tennessee Titans and not so great for everybody else. The Houston Texans lost again. They're now 0-3 and I'm not sure when the Colts play. Do they play tomorrow or do they already play today? I think they're currently playing at the moment and it's a home game because I, I saw like a Texans or I'm sorry, a Colts insignia in the end zone. But I don't know exactly who they are playing. I have to look that up. Yeah, so of course, you know, just watching some other football, of course, while getting some other things done as well. But Jay, we're going to get right into it here in just a moment. As you mentioned, a lot to unpack on after Thursday night's loss. 
Before we begin, we want to thank everybody that has gone out of their way and headed and gone over to Apple Podcasts and left a five-star review as well as any comments. We got to tell you guys, that's one of the best ways you can support the podcast. We really, really appreciate it. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, make sure to subscribe or follow wherever you can. We're also available on Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can, of course, find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast. You can tweet the show at Believe and Jags Pod. And then you can tweet me at Phil the Filipino, F-I-L-I-P-I-N-O. And Jay is over at SportsGrind underscore Don. So, Jay, as we do with these post-game podcasts, we go into the box score and takeaways, and then we give away some game balls. And when we get to that game ball part, we're going to have some stuff to talk about. But let's look at the box score here offensively. You know, as you mentioned, Jay, this team, I think heading into this week three, and I can actually say for a fact, nobody on the Jaguars wire in terms of our staff, nobody picked the Dolphins. We were all pretty confident coming into this one, as were a lot of the fan base. And, you know, it looked like Gardner Minshew was rolling. He played very well two weeks in a row, had a really solid game. Remember, we were just having a discussion about, are we going to have to maybe acknowledge that is Gardner Minshew possibly the guy? And then the worst case scenario happens, which is this. He goes 30 for 42, 275 yards, no touchdowns and one interception. He got sacked four times. Uh, Now, the positive thing on the offensive side of thing is, is James Robinson continues to look great, right? 11 carries, 46 yards two touchdowns, and then on receiving end, six catches, 83 yards. So it really feels like he's, of course, the only thing that's been consistent about this season because it's just been so full of ups and downs. Keelan Cole, four catches, 43 yards. Chris Thompson, five for 35. Chris Conley had a rough night, man, and I'm sure we're going to get into that here. I know a lot of people were very upset. Jay, you and I were just talking about that. Uh, LaVisca Chenault had another five catches for 33 yards but really didn't seem to have much of an impact whatsoever. He had one carry for one yard. And, you know, I was expecting them to utilize LaVisca quite often, especially in the running game. But again, just did not look good offensively. So before we get to the defensive side of things, Jay, uh, what did you observe and what takeaways do you have on the offensive side of things, which just looked absolutely out of sync? Yeah, I didn't go back and watch this one on tape. Again, like this is one of those deals where I watched it initially when it was live. Um, and I'm sure that applies to you as well. Uh, but first thing I'll say before I get into the offense is that the defense really put this team in a very, very peculiar, uh, very, very difficult situation from the jump. And that's not to make excuses for the offense. But on the first two drives, the Dolphins were able to come away with 14 points. And that kind of goes into the question that people have been asking about this team. Why is Doug Marone deferring the ball? I'm in the beginning of the game. Maybe we should just take the ball for ourselves on offense and, you know, try and strike first, because obviously this defense has proven to be uh, unable to stop teams. Even the game that they had against the Colts, while they did have five pass deflections or pass breakups and they had the the two picks, uh, still the Colts kind of moved the ball down the field relatively easy. So we'll see if Doug Marone addresses that going forward instead of uh, deferring the ball and waiting for the second half to receive the ball. Let's see if he strikes first and uh, what have you against the Cincinnati Bengals. That's if we win the toss or whatever the case may be. So we're going to get that out of the way first. It was the defense, which we'll talk more on later. A Gardner Minshew, a guy that, uh, you know, a lot of people have been talking about, you know, the questions are, is he a franchise guy? Uh, What is he after this performance? Uh, Is he more the guy we saw against the Colts? Is he the guy that we saw against the Miami Dolphins? 
uh, and nobody knows. And that's why me and Phil have kind of been, at least I can speak for myself, have been reluctant to call him a franchise quarterback on this podcast. We've had the conversations, but again, like I said, and it's funny, this conversation keeps coming up, but for me, it has always been about, can he prove to be a top 12 guy? Because anything other than that can't excuse you getting Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence. Now, granted, part of what will play into this is can the Jaguars, are they in striking range to even get those guys? That's a whole nother story. And right now, to be honest with you, I don't know that they will be. But what I'm saying is if the defense plays the Jacksonville Jaguars into a top five spot and Gardner Minshew don't look like a top 12 quarterback, you still might as well, as bad as the defense is, you might as well still get the quarterback because it's just that important of a, a a position on the football field. It's the most important position in football, arguably, or it's no arguably in it. That is the most important uh, position in football, hands down, without the shadow of a doubt. So that is my mindset with this thing. If this defense, which is very bad, plays us into a top five spot, and Gardner Minshew is not a top 12 quarterback, uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars might need to consider trading up for Justin Field, Trevor Lawrence, or, you know, I got to see more on Trey Lance. I can't really speak on him right now, but that's where I'm at with that. Now, again, that's not to say that Gardner Minshew cannot be the guy for this team. This is his first, arguably his first kind of bad game of the year. Time will tell. And look, it goes back to the key that me and Phil have talked about with Gardner Minshew. And that is how does he look in those games at the end of the season against these top tier defenses? And what we could take from this game is, you know, and albeit he was without DJ Chark, that's another subject we'll get on. But what we could take from this is he didn't look all that good against this Dolphins defense without DJ Chark, which should make people worry about what he can do against the Bears defense at the end of the year against this uh, Packers defense that has two good pass rushers that can get you, you know, double-digit sacks a year, against the uh, the um, Pittsburgh Steelers defense at the end of the year, against the Minnesota Vikings defense, which isn't playing uh, all that great at the moment, I guess, based off of what we've seen in the season. But what can he do against those teams at the end of the season? You know, it's, it's still a time-will-tell type of thing. So what I'm saying is, you know, this Dolphins performance is alarming in the sense that it was against the Dolphins and he didn't look all that great. And he did uh, miss people streaming down the field for open passes and, and so on and so forth. Uh, let's see how he develops by the end of the season and what he can do against those teams before we make a call on him. But right now it's not promising. If we're going to go off of what we saw against the Dolphins, it wasn't pretty. You know, like I said, he missed open receivers. Uh, you know, he was checked down Charlie for some of the game. And again, you know, that's not to play. That's not to say anybody around him played good as well. But without DJ Chark, not only did he struggle, but this offense in general struggle. And they, you know, they have to show that they can function without him, at least to a, a small degree that they can function without him. And the only good player we saw on the field offensively was James Robinson. So they'll go back. I, the thing that I do like about how he can come back from this is Jay Gruden. You know, in years past, I felt like we haven't had coaches uh, that would be able to go back with a quarterback like Blake Borders, for example. It felt like they enabled Blake Borders to do the things he did continually. Jay Gruden is a guy I feel like that'll, of course, all coaches do this, but he'll go over the mistakes Gardner Minshew made, 
try and make sure that he doesn't make those mistakes further into the season and so on and so forth. And, you know, he can change the trajectory of what Gardner Minshew did in terms of the Dolphins. And maybe we could see a better player next week, the week after and so on and so forth. So basically what I'm saying is I feel like Jay Gruden can help Gardner Minshew grow from these type of games. So that's the good part if you're a Gardner Minshew fan and you're hoping that he's the guy. We'll see. Again, where is this guy when we get to the end of the season and how has Jay Gruden helped him uh, propel to a new level at the end of the season? Time will tell. So on that, the offense, aside from Gardner Minshew, like I said, nobody looked good uh, aside from James Robinson, excuse me. Uh, Chris Conley, like you said, had the drops. And I wrote about this on the good, bad, and the ugly. Chris Conley has to be the guy when um, DJ Chark isn't there, simply put. Because he's the, for one, he's the oldest receiver, the most experienced receiver in the room, for one. Uh, and he's a guy like, you know, he's also playing on the contract year. Like, I would expect better out of him on a year where maybe he's trying to get an extension. Maybe he's trying to stick around in Jacksonville. And it just wasn't there. And to his credit, you know, he did say, like, it just wasn't my game. And he didn't make any excuses. And, yeah, he has to be that guy for Gardner Minshew, that guy to take the lead for the receiving core, because this is a young receiving core when DJ Chark isn't there. And they get DJ Chark back, so that'll help him. But that just kind of shows you how complimentary this team is in terms of the receiving core uh, to each other. And it's especially the case with DJ Chark at the top and when he's not there. You can see the flaws and the issues there. So, again, you know, they'll be healthier. They'll maybe they'll probably get Brandon Linder back in the trench, trenches, too. That'll help the run game. And, uh, you know, they'll have to go into this game with the Cincinnati Bengals, who are probably hungry after a tie that they had with, uh, I think it was the Philadelphia Eagles they had a tie with. So yeah. it's not going to be an easy game because they've been competitive in every game. That's the thing. Like, this is going to be a dog fight for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And Gardner Minshew cannot have the performance that he had, even regardless of what the defense does. He can't perform the way that he did on um, Thursday and expect to beat the Cincinnati Bengals team and Joe Burrow. And another thing about that, Jay, imagine if they go into this game with Cincinnati and Burrow outplays Gardner Minshew. If that happens, that's going to open up a lot of eyes and it's going to make the tank for Trevor people in the fan base even louder than they already are. Because I'm sure for right now, they're pretty loud and they have good reason to be because this was not a good performance. Now, one thing that's really concerning when we had Kat last uh, on last week to talk about the Dolphins, he voiced his concern about the receivers. Now, at the time, we weren't 100 percent sure whether or not DJ Chark would play. However, we were pretty confident in this group, even outside of DJ Chark. I fully expected Keelan Cole to have a big game. I did not expect Chris Conley to go out there and have those, you know, awful drops. The tight ends had even been looking better. And of course, we talked about all offseason how much Gardner, you know, had had enjoyed throwing to O'Shaughnessy, how great, you know, Tyler Eifert looked in in moments against the Tennessee Titans. And we just didn't see any of that outside of when he was able to check down, like you said, to James Robinson. And luckily, he's such a playmaker, he was able to make things happen. But outside of that, I mean, if you take away those plays from James Robinson. I mean, this day from, from Gardner looks even worse, you know, thank goodness. Like we said, James Robinson had the day that he did and continues to get better and better. They keep trying that. And, you know, of course that's my guy, Colin Johnson. They keep trying this, you know, that fade to, to him to get into the end zone because just using his height and the size reminiscent of the Mercedes Lewis days, right. When they would try that and would just never work. And I think eventually he is going to get one, but against a secondary that, Cat himself over at um, on the fin side was worried about 
They didn't get anything done. And I think that's incredibly concerning. D.D. Westbrook got out there, which I think just shows they were just trying to get anything to work. Do you have any insight on that before we get to the defensive side of thing as far as D.D. Westbrook? Because, you know, they used him in the I believe they put him back there in uh, in punt return. And then he did have a catch. Is there anything going on with that? Are they trying to to move him or are they just ready to move on from him after the season is over and they're using him sparingly? Yeah, I don't have anything on it, but it just feels like they're trying to trade him, you know, just based off of what we've seen. I mean, and of course, like they would play him this week because they had no choice. Like they were down DJ Chark. You know, you don't want to go into that equation with two rookies who, you know, at times have struggled to separate uh, Chris Conley and Keelan Cole and just leave uh, D.D. Westbrook on the bench. That would make no sense. Unless, again, like you're just going to you have plans to trade him like Monday, which Obviously, they didn't probably because they played him or whatever the case may be. So, um, yeah, I just feel like they're just trying to trade him or maybe. And again, this is none I have a source on or they're maybe trying to wait until a team needs a a receiver of his caliber or a, a slot guy or just, you know, they have a key injury where they just desperate for a receiver. And maybe they would send them to whatever team that is that needs him now on the tank for Trevor thing. That you mentioned, and me and you, you know, this is going to continue to come up until Gardner Minshew concretely shows us what he can do. But one thing I do like want to say for the fan base is while I know like it's it's second nature to go to the draft and the tank for Trevor and the, uh, you know, tank for Justin Fields, sweepstakes and what have you. People need to have in mind that it is going to be very difficult, regardless of how Gardner Minshew plays or not, to get to the number one or two overall pick. So don't set yourself up for failure. We've seen literally worse teams in Jacksonville Jaguars history not be able to land a top three or top four pick. So do not get your hopes up on being able to get Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields. And it feels like if it happens, it's going to take a lot of draft compensation to get there. So, you know, don't let the Gardner Minshew situation set you up for disappointment come April as well, because like I said, it's just extremely hard to do to get the first overall pick. And we've seen worse teams have that haven't been able to do it. I mean, for crying out loud, we had a team with like Blaine Gabbard and Dennis Northcutt and those gut, those early Gus Bradley teams weren't able to register that kind of a season either. So, you know, like even with Gardner playing the way he has, like you could see the Jaguars winning three to four games still. And look, you, you're kind of in a pickle there. Uh, because that's probably not going to get you the first overall pick. But, you know, I guess time will tell. We got to see what other teams do and how they're looking record-wise. But, um, yeah, I just don't want, like, the fans to set themselves up for failure, you know, and a, a huge dis- disappointment come April. And, yeah, like you said, on, um, I-, I agree with you on Chris Conley and Keelan Cole. I do think that they, you know, are capable of better, and we, we should have saw better out of them, especially Cole for me. But again, that goes to show you when DJ Chark isn't there. And again, I got to go look at the film. But when he isn't there commanding double teams and all of the, you know, the players that he commands over the top, this team has to learn how to function uh, without that element into the game plan. And to give you an update, Jay, on who the Colts are playing, they are playing the Jets, and currently it's the end of the third quarter at the time of recording, and they are up 31-7. to So that's how things are going for the Colts today, going pretty well. And, you know, now you're talking about this draft position, and now you have to throw the Jets in there, as there was a report earlier last week that they might have uh, Sam Darnold 
a little bit on the chopping block as well if things continue to go poorly for the Jets. So you got to think if the Jets have another terrible season, they're going to bring in a new head coach and that guy is going to want his own quarterback. And if a guy like Trevor Lawrence, you have the opportunity to bring him to probably, you know, the largest media market in the world then I think that's probably going to happen. We talked about it before we even started. What about the Atlanta Falcons? Are they going to play themselves into a terrible year, which is what it's looking like right now? So there's going to be a ton of competition to get Trevor Lawrence. I saw Ryan Clark tweet out, uh, fail for Fields. Uh, that's that's the thing that's going out going around out there for Justin Fields. Uh, yeah, man, I, I hate to be having this conversation three weeks into the season, but this is what we are going to get if Gardner Minshew is going to be all over the place. And I think we talked, we talked about this extensively. I think one of my fears for sure is that this team is going to win just enough because Gardner Minshew is talented. They're going to win just enough to be out of position to get a top three pick because like I said, he has this innate ability to win games. He really does. And, but this is when you see the worst in him and, you know, in terms of his, you know, in terms of his abilities, is he limited? is, you know, against a team that he definitely should have played well against because you can make the argument, of course, the Tennessee Titans are, are definitely better than the Dolphins. Why didn't that translate? So, again, a lot to get into. I'm sure we'll, we're, we're obviously going to talk about it as the season goes on. Let's go to the other side of the ball here, Jay, where, you know, the, they were just dominated. I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick came in and had one of those games where he just looked like he was he was loose. He was doing whatever he wanted. Uh, throw, you know, slinging the ball around all over the field. And, and you look at the guys. I mean, the guys were getting I didn't I mean, I didn't really know anything about Gaskin. I know Kat had talked about him a little bit. But I mean, some of these guys that were out here making plays, I, of course, never even really heard of. Ryan Fitzpatrick out here juking uh, Miles Jack and, and Joe Schobert, man. It was just a bad performance all around. I mean, Josh Allen did finally get a sack. But I mean, really, it, it was really more so of a thing where Fitzpatrick was more out of position and just took the sack as opposed to Josh Allen getting there. Now, I did see some people uh, as far as Jaguars Twitter, uh, you know, some different journalists saying that he did have a pretty good game in terms of getting pressures. But once um, but again, just really not too much. I mean, Miles Jack continues to look pretty solid, had 11 total tackles. Uh, Josh Jones, eight tackles uh, as well. Joe Schobert also had eight. But everything else, man, there really wasn't a whole lot to look at. I mean, Leon Jacobs, unfortunately, is gone for the year. You hate to see that. You know, just the injuries continue to pile up around the league. And, you know, we ho- definitely hope you get you see him get healthy. But, I mean, we're, what, two, three years into this Leon Jacobs thing? And, you know, we, I, don't, I don't know what, what else to really say about that. But, yeah, Jay, just on the defensive side of things, again, not good. Even if you want to throw special teams in there, there were some moments that just – left you scratching your head. Chris Claybrooks is just not looking like, like it. I'm not sure what's going on there. Um, but yeah, and then you see, we were talking today about uh, when we were watching the Falcons play about dark was Denard out there looking great, you know, and he was a guy that we had initially agreed to a, a contract with. And then for whatever reason that fell apart. And you think about what would that look like if he were here, as opposed to Trey Herndon being in the spot that he's in, you know, cause he continues to struggle. So defensively, Jay, I mean, <laughs> I don't even know where to start, but, uh, you know, the floor is yours. Yeah, first on Dark Wes Denard, um, prayers for him. I don't know what happened, but when I walked away from the TV, he had to be helped out the field, so he didn't finish the game. And, I, you know, that might have played some effect into the team being able to come back. Uh, the uh, Who was it that they played? It's, it's already escaped. Bears. 
yeah, the Bears coming back. Uh, like I said, part I saw most of that game up until like a few like minutes into the fourth quarter, and then I turned it back, and then I saw a Rob scoring on um one of those plays, which you know I was kind of off and on with that game. But prayers to him, and hopefully Denard uh gets well soon, and it's nothing serious. Now on the defense, uh, you know what I fear what happened is coming up defensively. Simply put, um, I always thought that if Doug Marone didn't change defensive coordinators at some point it would come in and bite him and it looks like that could be the case because just Todd Wash is just not the answer we're going on uh what was it he Todd Wash has been the defensive coordinator for at least three four years at least I know he was there for Gus Bradley as well so uh, it's just not working out and like many people this offseason were hoping uh maybe Doug would reach out to his buddy Jim Schwartz up there with the Eagles but Problem was, Jim Schwartz was still on the contract with the Eagles, so that would have been tampering, and that wasn't happening. And you see all of the people online asking for Wade Phillips, who is currently just sitting at home chilling and advising high schools and colleges from uh, what the tweets have said. And he's a guy that we could have brought in as an advisor, maybe. Who knows? Maybe Wade Phillips wouldn't want to play for the Jags or work for the Jags. But, you know, like I said, it's just – this is what we feared would happen is that Doug Marone would hold on to Todd Wash when he shouldn't have, and the defense just wouldn't get it done. On top of, you know, it was already a questionable decision to let Todd Wash remain the defensive coordinator after all we've seen, in addition to the defense being really, really young. So you're handing off, off this really, really young defense to somebody who struggled at times with, you know, veterans and proven commodity guys and, and what have you. So that was really a lot to ask of Todd Wash if you're going to be Doug Marone. And, you know, you just have to wonder why Doug Marone didn't go in a different direction in terms of finding the defensive coordinator. And when we look back at the end of the season at everything that's happened and transpired and everybody gets fired, you would have to think that's if everybody gets fired. You would have to think, you know, as Doug Marone, you, he might look back at it and say, I probably should have changed defensive coordinators because that was a key that led me to get me fired as well as probably Doug, uh, Dave Caldwell might look back at it too and, and so on and so forth. So you don't want those regrets uh, heading into the, or you don't want those regrets when you reflect back on what happened and, and this, that, and the other. But I guess we're stuck with uh, Todd Wash. It's really hard. Me and you talked about this to see the Jaguars moving on from him because they've been with him so long and it's really been nothing that he can do to make them move on from him. That, you know, like, it's been times where he's literally put up just very awful performances like he did against the um the Dolphins, and they still hold on to him and, and so on and so forth. But we also had this question come up when we did the Q&A from the fans, and it was actually Vez or Stodd, shout out to him, that asked, you know, what would the Jags do in a scenario where they would replace Todd Wash like midway through the season? And my answer was they would probably, in my opinion, and I don't have a, a source on this or anything, but they will probably move on to um, Jason Brevovich, who is um, one of the assistants on the defensive side. I think he coaches the defensive line, but uh, he has a history with Doug Marone. And that's why I say they will move on to him. So I don't know if we can even expect them to like, you know, bring in a guy like Wade Phillips as an advisor or bring in Wade Phillips midseason, which is kind of a rare thing to see anyway. It's hiring a defensive coordinator at that point in the season. So I, I think they're either stuck with Todd Wash. Or it's going to be Jason Reverbich uh, that gets the call if Todd Wash is fired 
Um, which that also, I guess that wouldn't be shocking either when looking at, you know, the performances the defense has had. Now, in terms of the players, man, it just went pretty. Doug Marone simply came out and said in the press conference on Friday uh, that he felt like what the issue was, was that the defenders weren't getting enough hands on the ball like we did week one against the um, Colts, which, you know, we had two picks, five pass deflections, I think it was, and three of them were from C.J. Henderson. And, I mean, when you do look at the film, C.J. Henderson didn't have the best game. He had the the brain fart where he let the receiver get up and run for extra yardage because he didn't tag him. Uh, Trey Herndon didn't look good and hasn't looked good all year. So, you know, maybe Doug makes a point there. And then, you know, on the pass rush thing that a lot of people have been, you know, talking about, Doug also addressed that. And he was like, well, in max protection situations, you're not going to get to the quarterback, which is, you know, apparently, again, I haven't seen the film, but apparently the Dolphins used a lot of max protection. And when the Jaguars were able to get pressure, it seems like just from what we've pieced together, it was Josh Allen back there. But again, when you have nobody to meet with you at the quarterback, it's just Josh Allen getting back there and the quarterback can escape from that situation. So, look, it seems like the only guy that we have that is remotely good at rushing the passer right now is Josh Allen. And that's a recipe for disaster. So, you know, time will tell what we get out of Chase on. He's young and he's got to learn the ropes. And, you know, we don't want to exactly, you know, throw him under the bus right now because he, he is a kid that has a lot to learn. And, um, you know, it's a lot of season left to be played. But with Joe Burrow coming up and this team is very competitive and feisty, the Bengals I'm talking about here, you got to be concerned about what you've seen out of Todd Warsh. So expect them to coach a lot of fundamentals because that's what Doug Marone actually talked about. A lot of fundamentals this week in uh, practice, which, you know, of course, that's something that you should go over in the summer and so on and so forth and really shouldn't have to go over in the regular season. But it looks like that's going to have to be the case for the Jacksonville Jaguars as they prepare for the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask you and, and get into here, Jay, before we move on to this next segment here in, in terms of the game balls. What what do you think it is? Is there anything to be concerned about with Josh Allen? Or do you really think it is that teams are able to key in on him, key in on him now? that he doesn't have the help in terms of a Jan or a Calais Campbell. Is that something, you know, schematically they can fix? Or is it just, like I said, it, people are able to just focus all of their attention on him because there's really nowhere else to put to put that attention? Yeah, with him being the sole best pass rusher on this team, like it's pr- pretty much nothing. And that's why I was like trying to like ease up off the gas pedal with the predictions that I said about him getting 16 sacks when I realized like, this guy is literally going to go into this situation with no help. Al Woods opted out, which you can understand because of the coronavirus. And Rodney Gunter, prayers for him. He pretty much opted out as well. Prayers for him as well with the heart disorder. You know, you can definitely understand that as well. But when I saw that, I was like, well, it's just, you know, like, who's going to meet at the quarterback with Josh Allen? So, like, I don't really see that much changing unless, you know, Kalevon Chason makes this huge step within the next few games and, and so on and so forth. But, I mean, this is clearly, going back to what we were saying earlier, not only is this team inexperienced, but they also lost the guys that could command double teams that they could command or or free up the other guys, and Yannick Ngakwe and Calais Campbell. So, yeah, I don't really, you know, see Josh Allen at this point having a good season, as good as he is. He needs somebody. He needs a dance partner. And you always, you know, when you look at defensive lines, it feels like you always need at least two stars to make it work. So therefore, you know, one could free up the other and the Jacksonville Jaguars don't have that. 
But that's not to say that Josh Allen is not a good player. He's just out there, you know, really like just fighting things solo in terms of uh, being a premier pass rusher. Yeah, I definitely, of course, uh, you know, tempering those expectations because, again, just there, there's only so much he can do on his own. I did tweet out later on in the week, you know, or the day after the game, I believe, uh, just having nightmares thinking about what some of these teams are going to do to this defense down the road. When you look at the Packers and the Ravens and the Vikings, even though they're 0-3, they still put up a lot of points on Tennessee. I mean, it's going to get worse before it gets better. I guess that's what I will say. So, um, you know, again... I'm going to add one more thing on that. Yeah, you're right. It feels like it's going to get worse before it gets better. And I think, like, what could help this team, actually, is if they kind of use the Blake Bortles approach, like they did in 2017 a little bit, and use the running game not to protect Gardner Minshew so much, but to protect the defense from seeing the field more than they should. And, uh, you know, but that's the thing. Like, Jay Gruden is kind of a guy that uh, I don't know if you're going to get that much – how should I put it? I don't know if he'll utilize the running game to that degree to where like the Jaguars have a significant time of possession on offense over the other team, basically. But I guess time will tell. They do have a weapon that they can do that went in James Robinson. Um, and then, like I said, Linder will be back. So that'll help the run game. But, you know, that might help them. It's just trying to lead the time of possession by taking these slow lethargic attempts on on offense and maybe slowing it down. Uh, but I don't know if that's in uh, Jay Gruden's pedigree to to try that. But look, man, now it's a matter of, you know, we used to talk about protecting Blake Bortles and getting a huge league and the defense doing more than the offense. Now it feels like we're going to need the offense to protect the defense from uh, basically getting 30 dropped on them each game. Yeah, guys, listen, listen, we talked about this leading into the uh, leading into the regular season. That second half of the year is going to be brutal. So. We just hope that they can at least be somewhat competitive here early on because it it's going to get tough. But Jay, on, on that note, let's move into the game balls here. And for the offense, of course, we've talked about him a lot. It's It's got to be James Robinson. And I believe this is the second week in a row that he got the game ball, correct? Because, yeah, because week one was Gardner Minshew, and then we gave it to James Robinson last week. So offensively, I mean, look, <laughs> it's our guy. We, uh, we continue to to heap praise on him. I think it's only a matter of time before he gets that first 100-yard rushing game. Uh, Jay, before we, I, I let you go and talk on James Robinson here, do want to talk about some significant history that he was that he made on Thursday night. He has now gained the most scrimmage yards of any undrafted player through three games uh, in NFL history. Uh, he also has the most scrimmage yards and rushing yards by a Jaguars player through their first three career games. Of course, surpassing former Jaguars running back Leonard Fournette. So the guy continues to make history and look really good doing it. So, you know, in terms of the offense, at least we had James Robinson to watch. Yeah, on James Robinson, uh, one correction I want to make, he actually has had that 100-yard game rushing field. Uh, that happened against the Titans. That's right. I apologize. Yeah, it happened last week. I'm sorry. Yeah. So he got 102 on that one and averaged 6.4 per carry. Uh, so he's gotten his first 100-yard game. And, you know, if there is anything, even if the Jaguars have a bad season, uh, you know, like, I at least want to see the kid get, like, you know, consideration for rookie of the year. And it, because he's going out there putting it all on the line and grinding hard and working hard. And you could tell, man, he just wants to help the team in any way, shape, or form. And he, he showed that, especially on uh, Thursday through the receiving game, led the team in receiving. 
uh, that, you know, he, he's just here for the team. He's all about team. He's a tough runner. He's a gritty runner. I think he'll have more success on the ground again, like I said, because Brandon Linder will be back. I don't know where the Dolphins or the Bengals defense ranks in terms of against the rush, but I'll look that up later. Uh, but yeah, man, like just, I mean, we couldn't ask for more out of him. And, you know, he continues to show us that he should have been drafted. But again, I guess for whatever reason, the combine or whatever people put all of their efforts into, he wasn't drafted. But, um, you know, like at least we know, or it's, it feels like right now at the end of the season, one thing we'll look back at and say that we don't need probably is a number one running back. And that's for sure. Yeah, it looks like we've at least found the guy for the time being. Now, what happens down the road in terms of running backs? You know, that's that's another story. So uh, but just really happy that he continues to play very well and impress because, uh, yeah, again, offensively, there's not a whole lot that went right on Thursday night. But on the defensive side of things, Jay, the game ball goes to no one. Uh, we are not going to give out a game ball defensively. I thought about giving it to Ryan Fitzpatrick because he was the one that owned the defense all day. Uh, but yeah, defensively, we talked about Miles Jack, uh, but you, you know what? Nobody really made too much of an impact and the Dolphins, you know, embarrassed them on national television. Yeah, I mean, we tried in our defense. Uh, maybe if we would have dug further into PFF grades, we maybe could have did it, but Again, I mean, like, they got a three-piece dropped on them at home on national television. So, you know, it's, it's hard to crown a, a game ball to anybody in that type of situation. And, you know, you got to hope that at least to some small magnitude, if not a big magnitude, that this defense uh, plays a little bit better heading forward. But it's a time-will-tell type of thing, man. But totally disappointing performance. And, uh, yeah, that was that was absolutely hard to watch. Yeah, there's not really too much else to that, you guys. It was just a really, really poor performance all around, really, other than outside of, like we said, like we've talked about over and over again today, James Robinson. So uh, no game ball on the defensive side of things. Hopefully that doesn't become a, uh, a common thing this season. But I think why fans would be are especially upset following this loss, Jay, is because you come out of the first two games one and one and you're incredibly competitive. And then you drop an egg like that in front of a national audience. You're the only game on TV and everybody is watching and that's how you perform. And it's just incredibly frustrating because it just feeds into the bias against this team and against this fan base that Jacksonville is and never will be legitimately competitive because essentially they're in they, there's some incompetence from top to bottom. So this one really, really stings because you want to come out and show that, hey, Gardner Minshew is, you know, he maybe he has a coming out party. Doesn't happen. You know, you hope that DJ Chark gets a little bit of shine, and he is hurt, unfortunately. Josh Allen, you think, hey, they have a defensive cornerstone, and he's playing underwhelming. So all around, it really just checked all the boxes for worst-case scenario. And, you know, hopefully it just doesn't happen going forward. And, you know, they won't be on the national stage unless something drastically changes in the, in the future, and they have some kind of... Uh, the schedule change at the end of the year where they get moved into a primetime slot. I don't think that's going to happen, but Hey, 2020 has been weird, man. You never know. But I mean, that being said, Jamie, is there anything else you want to touch on for this game uh, before we close it out for the week and then move on? And then in the famous words of Bill Belichick, we'll be on to Cincinnati. And of course we will be looking to go behind enemy lines again with the Bengals. So anything else you want to talk about for this game, but also mention what they have to look forward to, not only here in the podcast, but over on the Jaguars wire. 
No, nah, not really all that much to offer in terms of the game. We pretty much touched on it. I mean, aside from, uh, you know, I do think, I'll say this, I do think whether he's a franchise quarterback or not, I do think Gardner's capable of better. And, again, I feel like the defense didn't do him any favors either. I would like to see him not have to fight through a 14-0 deficit. You know, that kind of puts a lot of pressure on somebody. But, uh, you know, that's who I'll probably be watching the most because I feel like, I, I mean, I feel like I know what the defense is going to be. I want to see, like, what Gardner can do and uh, can he prove us uh, wrong and, and be a franchise quarterback. But in terms of the content, you know, we'll be reaching out to some media members in the Cincinnati market. Um, and Mike Phil said we'll also try and do it behind enemy lines as we have done. I think we've done it the first two weeks. Yeah, Arden. And then it was a uh, cat. So, yeah, we'll try and make it three weeks in a row where we get on a uh, opposing four weeks. We had Believe in Titans on, too. Yeah. Yeah. For, can't forget about Davey and um, Denard. That being said, uh, hopefully we can get somebody on from the uh, media realm with the Cincinnati Bengals and talk about Joe Burrow and company. And then, of course, you know, on the site, we'll be scouting the Cincinnati Bengals and, you know, informing people on the keys to watch with the Jaguars, the keys to watch within the uh, the game itself and what needs to be done and the adjustments that need to be made to get the Jaguars at 500, which I guess you could say that wouldn't be a bad position to be in um, considering the first quarter of the season. So, yeah, aside from that, that's what we pretty much got going. And uh, hopefully we'll on the next episode or, well, the next episode will be behind enemy lines. But the episode after that, uh, we'll be able to talk about a victory. Yeah, and the Cincinnati market is a market that was paying attention to us earlier in the offseason, Jay. Remember when we had Ian Rappaport on and he talked about Andy Dalton uh, coming here, possibly. Of course, he ended up with the Dallas Cowboys, but you know we ended up in, in Cincinnati.com when they were talking about that, of course, when Andy Dalton was still a Cincinnati Bengal. So we definitely got to get somebody on to talk about them. And, uh, you know, we'll get to see Joe Burrow up close and personal. Well, you know, as up close and personal as we can get from watching from our couches, but it'll be interesting to see how that defense matches up against the the kid who's who's playing really, really well. He he looks solid. He definitely looks the part early on. Of course, the Bengals haven't gotten a win yet. So like you said, Jay, they're going to be hungry. They're going to be ready to finally get that victory for him. And I'm sure their their coaching staff as well. Uh, but that being said, you guys, you know, we really appreciate you listening again. If you are enjoying the show, head over to Apple Podcasts and drop that five star review. Also, make sure that you are following and subscribing either on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, or TuneIn. You can also find us on Believe.com and at Believe Podcast. One more time, you can tweet the show at Believe in Jags Pod. You can find me at Phil the Filipino, F-I-L-I-P-I-N-O, and Jay is over at SportsGrind underscore Don. So thank you guys so much. You enjoy the week. We'll be back a little bit later this week to preview the game with the Cincinnati Bengals. This has been the Believe in the Jaguars podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. We believe. Do you? We'll see you next time, you guys. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.